Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Amen. Second Kings chapter four, beginning of verse number eight. Thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. And when you have it, would you stand to your feet and honor the word of God? Amen. Second Kings chapter four, verse number eight. Amen. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Mm. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem. Where there was a prominent woman and she persuaded him to eat food and so it was as often as he passed by he turned there to eat food and she said to her husband behold now i perceive that this is a holy man of god passing by us continually so please let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand and it shall be that when he comes to us that he can turn in there one day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested, and he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. So he said, what then can be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly, she has no son, and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season and the next year, as Elijah had said, Elisha had said to her. And when the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noontime and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. He said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, it will be well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward and do not slow down the pace unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, there is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. When she came to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. For her soul is troubled within her, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Then she said, did I ask for a son from my Lord? And did I not say, do not deceive me? 
Then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. And if you meet any man, do not salute him. And if anyone salutes you, do not answer them. And lay my staff on the lad's face. And the mother of the lad said, as the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. Then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face. But there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him, the lad has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands and stretched himself on him. And the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him. And then the lad sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her and when she came into him, he said, take up your son. Then she went and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and she took up her son and went out. I want to draw your attention now to verse 26. Elisha sees the woman coming and he says to Gehazi, please now run to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Here's the crazy part. Is it well with the child? And in the midst of a dead baby, her confession to the man of God is it is well. Notice now for the sake of preaching that in verse 23, she tells her husband, it will be. But when she gets to the man of God, when she shows up to church, she says, it is well. Amen. I, I want to preach for a little while using as a subject what to do when the promise dies. Amen. What to do uh, when the promise dies. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus name. Amen. One thing that uh, you'll learn about me, uh, if you're ever able to live in close proximity to me or have close relationship with me and have an opportunity to get to know my personality, you'll quickly discover one thing that I do not like is unnecessary conversation. As a matter of fact, uh, part of the entrance fee to my space is knowing when to be quiet. Amen. Uh, I can't stand to have people around me that talk too much and I can't have because of that I can't have overly sensitive people around me because people who are overly sensitive and like to talk take silence for agitation when in actuality wisdom requires that oftentimes you have to sit in silence so that you might discern what you got to do next and I'm, I'm learning now to be wary of people who always got something to say. Yeah, who can never sit in silence or silence irritates them or short conversations make them insecure uh, because they don't know how to be quiet. And since that's the case, when I look through sacred scripture, I oftentimes find people that I would become agitated with because they volunteer unwanted information. Elisha is one of those people that would have gotten on my nerves. Because this woman in the text 
decides that she's going to serve Elisha. She decides that she's going to build a room in her house for the prophet. She wants nothing more than to serve the man of God. She doesn't ask Elisha for anything. But Elisha invades her space. Gehazi invades her privacy. Finds out that she doesn't have a son. The Bible is specific now. The Bible doesn't say she has no children. But Gehazi said she does not have a son and her husband is old, meaning that she doesn't have a son and by the looks of things, her husband is not going to be able to produce one. And so Elisha, full of the spirit of God, declares a prophecy that the woman didn't ask for, makes a promise that she didn't inquire to God about. For all intents and purposes, we can assume that this woman is satisfied with God. But Elisha invades her space with unwanted information to tell her, hey, that thing that God has withheld from you up to this point that you've become satisfied with not receiving. You've become okay with the fact that you got daughters and no sons. You've become okay with the fact that you've got male servants and no biological sons. You've become okay with the fact that you and your husband are going to raise some beautiful girls and they're going to grow up and be wise women. But now all of a sudden, a prophet comes and without your inquiry, decides to tell you that God is going to give you something that really you had settled in yourself you'd never receive. He tells the woman, you're going to have a son. And and it's not going to happen in the sweet by and by. As a matter of fact, you finna get pregnant here real soon. Because by this time next year, he didn't say you're going to be pregnant. He said you're going to hold a son. When you look at the linguistics of the text, you have to understand then, Davon, that really what Elisha is saying is that you're pregnant now and you don't even know it. Look at your neighbor and say there's something in you now. Yeah, he tells the woman that this time next year, you're, you're going to hold what you've been waiting for. And he says, you're going to hold it by this season next year, which means that around this time next year, you're going to be holding something in your hand, which means it can't be getting ready to be made. God has already deposited it in you. Yeah. See, some of you are waiting on something to happen and God wants you to know that the thing that you need is already on the inside of you. God has already deposited the thing that you've been waiting on. But 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 what what you're waiting on is not necessarily the seed to be planted. You're waiting on a word to create expectation in you to let you know that there is something in you that's about to come forth. Yeah. Yeah. He tells the woman that by this time next year. You're going to hold a son. And the woman says, you can almost feel her emotion in the text because the woman tells him, she says, man of God, don't lie to me. Stop playing with me. And I, I, I almost feel her because even though this is a first century text, Cedric, this is a 21st century problem because we got so many prophets that play with people. 
that, that try to manipulate the emotions of people in the church and tell them things that they want to hear so that they can raise a big offering or so that they can draw a big crowd. And so they find the things. They say stuff like there's somebody in the room that's been dealing with financial pressure. Brother, we're black and it's America. Everybody deal it. There's somebody in the room who's lonely tonight. Yeah, it's single people in the room. And Valentine's Day is coming up. Everybody lonely. It's married folk lonely. You got to do better than that. Don't play with me, man of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? She, she tells the prophet. She says, look, uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I've already settled in myself that I'm going to be all right. And now you're giving me a word that disrupts my contentment. Do you hear what I'm saying? You've already settled in yourself that I, I'm not going to have the kind of job that I told myself I was going to have as a little kid. I may not get the degree that I thought I was going to get. I may not be able to drive the kind of car I want to drive. Then out of nowhere, unsolicited, this prophet comes and tells you that the thing that you said you were okay with never getting, God is about to give that thing to you. And instead of going into a crazy praise and cueing a click track, the woman looks at the prophet and says, hey, stop playing with me. Yeah. Because you're messing with my emotional state. Because some of us have not really developed godly contentment. We've just begrudgingly said, okay, God, if you're not going to give it to me, that's fine. That's not contentment. Contentment says that I'm okay whether I get it or not. Not I'm okay that God is not going to let me have it. Do you understand? Con contentment says that if God gives it to me, I'll praise him. If God withholds it from me, I'll praise him. But I'm still expecting him to do something in my life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Uh, 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 Daniel Daniel chapter 3 gives it to us best because the Hebrew boys exemplified godly contentment. They said, look, Nebuchadnezzar, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us from your hand. But if he doesn't, we shall neither bow, neither shall we worship the graven image. I feel the Holy Ghost. We'll neither worship nor serve the image that you set up. And sometimes we look at God and, and we get mad at him, but we're too religious to actually tell him we're mad that we haven't received something. So we say, God, fine. If you ain't going to give it to me, I'm going to serve you because I ain't got no other choice. I'm going to just serve you. And then when we get a word that God is finally going to do it, we say stuff like, don't play with me. As if God is in the business of playing games. This, this then shows us that we have an issue in our worship because we've misappropriated the attributes of God. God is not your baby's father. God is not your daddy. God is not your husband. God don't play games. But because we've ascribed humanistic qualities to a God who is not a man, when God surprises us with a word, we treat him like we treat the people in our lives that play with us. Because we've had so many broken promises. Can you imagine? In the economy of Israel, having no sons was almost worse than not having any children at all. And they didn't have 
the technology to be able to tell if it was a girl or a boy before the birth. So every time she got pregnant, she is expecting God to reward her with a son. And back then, we did not have the scientific uh, data to know that gender is determined by the sperm, not by the recipient. So back then, they blamed the lack of sons on the woman when really it wasn't her fault. So she's living with guilt because she hasn't been able to produce what society says would make her successful. And she settled within herself that she's never going to receive what she should receive. And then this prophet irritates my soul because he comes to her with unwanted conversation. The woman didn't ask him for anything. And he comes to her and says, what can I do for you? Elisha even offers suggestions. He said, look, I'm pretty tight with the king. Uh, I can talk to him for you. Uh, the commander of the army, a man named Naaman, I'm going to go see him in a couple chapters to cure him of leprosy. If you want me to holler at him on your behalf, I can talk to him. She says, chill, bro. I live amongst my own people. <laughs> As a matter of fact, verse 8 calls her a prominent woman. She's like, oh, I don't need any help with my social connections. I'm already well connected and erudite. I'm educated. I know the right people. I, I got the right social circle. There's nothing you can do for me. And so then the prophet decides to get into her business. And he sends his nosy servant Gehazi to figure out what can be done. And Gehazi says, ah, uh, Bishop, Elisha, I, I was sneaking around the house and I found out that uh, she got some children, but they're all little girls. And none of these boys around here belong to her. And her husband, eh, don't look like he got that much in him. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't know if he can push out another girl, let alone a little boy. They need some help. And Elisha says, gotcha, go tell her that I'm going to give you that thing that you've been waiting for. And the woman in doubt tells the prophet to stop playing with her, but then the Bible says that that thing that she doubted, now she's holding it in her hand. That thing that she thought she would never get, she's now embracing it and she's rocking it at night and she's in the store now instead of buying little pink things, she can buy little blue things. Instead of buying Barbie dolls, now she's buying action figures. Instead of buying little princess crowns, she's buying t-shirts with Spider-Man and Batman on it to, to celebrate this little boy. And he grows up. But as he's growing, Something happens. <laughs> the mother sends him out to the field to go be with his father so he can learn how to be a man. The, the, the text implies that he's watching his father and the reapers reap so that he can learn the trade that pays the family's bills. Because at some point, all of this is going to be his. And because uh, the Hebrews had a culture that says, I can't allow you to control something that you don't know or understand. I'm going to make you watch your father and the people who are serving so that you can understand the family business. Uh, this is the complication in Genesis chapter 37 with Joseph. 
Because while the brothers, the older brothers, are working in the field, Joseph, because he has the favor of the father, is sent to watch, not to work. And while he's watching, he tells on his brothers because they weren't doing their jobs right. So the heir watches while the other brothers work. The son is sent out into the field to watch his father. And in the heat of the sun, the Bible says that this boy, this promised child, Tells his father, he says, my head, my head. And I've been guilty of this myself. Anybody, any father who, who, who's ever had a son that's got an owie or a boo-boo and mama is in the house and you doing something, go on and tell your mother. That's what he says. He, he doesn't say, you all right, son? Let me look at you. Matter of fact, he doesn't even talk to the boy directly. He's in the field working, Kristen, and tells his servant, take him. To his mother. And the Bible says that while he's with his mother, he sits on her lap until noon and then he dies. <laughs> uh, you've got to understand now the tension of the text. This thing is crazy because you've gotten my hopes up. I had told myself that I wasn't going to have a son. And then God gives me one. And the Bible does not say that the mother has done anything wrong to displease God. The Bible doesn't say that the woman has done anything wrong to make God upset that she's been derelict in her duties as a parent. The Bible doesn't say that. But life happens, God help me. And what do you do when you're trying to obey God and life happens to you God help me I, I guess I guess ain't nobody ever had life happen you, you, you you're doing the best that you can you're trying to serve God right and you're trying to do right before God and then a relationship that you thought you needed fell apart God help me an, an opportunity that you thought was going to open doors for you fell through your, your, your money got messed up while you were tight See, we're not talking about a trifling person that barely worshipped, that barely gave. We're talking about a woman that honored the man of God so that she knew that when he came in town, he needed a place to stay. And she said, no, I'm not going to send you to the Ritz-Carlton or to the Marriott or to the Motel 6. I'm going to build a room in my house. See, some of y'all won't even give money so that the man of God can have a room. She built a room. So we're not talking about a sometime a half-baked, half-committed believer. We're talking about somebody who honored God and honored God's prophet and still, God help me, the promise died. God help me. I, I don't know who I'm preaching to, but some of you think that sometimes things happen to you because God is not pleased with you. But I want you to know that the devil is a liar. That's not the truth. Sometimes you can honor God and do your best in life to serve him and things will still fall apart on you. It's not because God is upset with you. It's because God is trying to teach you something about life and godliness. God is trying to teach you that I'm still worthy when it's raining, that I'm still good even when it's bad. You've been looking at your life and you've been asking why me? Why has this happened to me? Why has this thing that you promised me now died? The Bible says that the woman does not grieve. But instead, she takes the boy 
And notice where she puts him. She does not lay him in her bed. But she takes the boy into the room of the man of God. Watch this. She takes the boy to the place where the boy was prophesied to. God help me. The prophecy that the boy was coming happened in the room. So when she got ready to lay the boy down, she took the boy back to the place where she got the word in the first place. God help me. And see, some of you don't understand that when trouble happens to you, God doesn't want you to retreat to your own place. He wants you to retreat to the place where you got the word. God help me. See, some of us are looking for comfort in friends. We're looking for comfort in relationships. God says, no, when life happens to your promise and it looks like it's dead, you got to go back to the word. How I got to move. I don't have time. He uh, says, then she called her husband and said, look, I, I love the way the text is worded. She said, I'm going to run to the man of God and I'm coming right back. I, that, that's not even I didn't even egersonize that translation. That's what the text says. She says, I'm going to run. She says, give me a donkey and I'm going to run. To the man of God. And I'm going to come right back. Her husband asked a question. That to us seems crazy, but to him, it makes perfect sense. He says, what are you going to church for? It's not Sunday. He says, it's not new moon or Sabbath, right? He says, ain't no revival meeting going on, and it's not Sunday. What are you going to the church for? And she tells her husband, it will be well. So when the promise dies, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to respond in worship. Yeah. When, when, when tragedy strikes, the woman tells us, look, I'm going to the man of God. Yeah, I'm going to Mount Carmel. You don't understand. Mount Carmel is where worship took place. The man of God stays at the house of worship. God help me. So she says, I'm going to Mount Carmel. Even though my promise has died, even though the thing I've been waiting for looks like it's in jeopardy, I'm not going to let it make me sit at home holding my promise. I'm going to put the promise back where I first got it and I'm taking myself to church. God help me. See, this is the problem with many of us. We allow sickness. We allow affliction. We allow adversity. We allow persecution. We allow poverty. We allow problems to keep us out of the house of God. When God says when life happens to you, this is where you need to be. And I don't come to church because everything is all right. I come to church because I got things in my life that I can't fix myself. And I believe that if I can get into the presence of God, God will meet my needs. And I've got to correct some theology because uh, in, our, in our Protestantism and in evangelicalism, we, we've developed this false picture of God that says God cannot be provoked. Yeah, like, like we can't make God do anything. Like we can't cause God to move, but the devil is a liar. And I'm sorry for ever teaching that in my, in my youthful exuberance. I thought that we, you know, stop praying to God about the same thing. He heard you the first time. That's not the Bible. If you don't believe that God can be provoked, why do you pray in the first place? You pray because you believe that God can move one way and then change his mind. 
You believe you pray because you believe that God can be going one way, Hezekiah, and tell you to get your house in order, for you shall surely die. But then you can turn your face to the wall and say, God, I still got work to do. I, I still got things I want to accomplish. And then God can speak a word to the prophet, send him back to you and say, you got 15 more years. You got to pray in the midst of hard times. You've got to seek God in trouble because your praise and your prayer can absolutely change his mind. Oh, I know you don't believe it. That's why some of y'all sit up in here. That's why some of y'all worship is so dry and your praise lacks power because you don't believe that your praise and your prayer can change God's mind. But I'm a witness that I've been praying for some things and I've heard people say cruel and unkind things to me. And I said, I don't have the words to change their heart or to make them move or to change their mind. But I prayed to God and I provoked him into action. As a matter of fact, I wish there was somebody in here that needed God to change some stuff. I dare you to open up your mouth and provoke him right now. Or I dare you to open up your mouth and praise him in a way that provokes him. Open up your mouth and say, God, I don't want to raise these children by myself. God, I don't want to go through this hell alone. God, I don't want to deal with this sickness in my body. God, I need you to change this situation. God, I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills. God, I'm provoking you right now. So she says, I'm going to church. I know it's not Sunday. God help me. Uh, I know they ain't got no guest preacher in there. But she says, look, there is something that God can do if I go to his house that he ain't going to do if I sit up here looking at you. God help me. If you had the power to fix it, you would have fixed it already. Bible doesn't say he was a bad husband. Bible doesn't say he was a wicked man. The Bible has no problem telling us if that was the case. But the, but the woman says, if you could help me, then you would have helped me already. The reason I'm leaving to go see the man of God is because I believe that there is something that God can do. God help me. That you can't do. She says, I'm going to see the man of God. I, I got to quit. So, so look. So I got to respond in worship. But then when the promise dies, I've got to maintain a positive confession. A positive confession. She tells her husband, after just laying her dead son down on the bed, baby, what's wrong? It's going to be fine. <laughs> it will be well. Everything's going to be all right. God help me. Uh, it's it's going to be fine. Just, just give me that donkey. Uh, give me some provisions for the journey. Give me a servant to go with me. And everything's going to be cool. I notice now she's saying this in the midst of intense pressure. She develops a positive confession because she believes that if I can just get to God, it's going to be all right. Notice that while she's en route, she says it will be well. But when she reaches the destination, she changes the confession again. She says it is well. And notice now that the woman develops a discipline that many of us don't have. She does not discuss her issues with people who she knows cannot help her. Husband loves me, but he can't help me. So my confession is, it's going to be all right. Gehazi ain't the pastor. God help me. Gehazi is the armor bearer. He's the adjutant. He's, he, he's, he's the deacon. Uh, uh, he, he's a staff person. She said, look, you ain't got no power. 
She said, I've got to talk to the one that has the right connection. God help me. Uh, she said, so as far as you're concerned, Gehazi, it is well. God help me. Uh, she, she says, I'm not going to confess things to people who don't have the power to help me. And maybe the reason why everybody is talking about your business is because you don't know how to keep your business to yourself and only voice it to people who can't help you. Every time something's wrong with you, you wear it on your face. Every time something happens, you put it on Facebook. Every time you get into a bad relationship, you got to tell somebody what happened. But God says you got to develop the discipline to decide within yourself that I'm only going to tell God because God is the only one that can help me. I might be crying, but you ain't going to know. I might be broke, but you ain't going to no, I might be sick, but every time you see me, I'm going to have a praise because it is well. Yeah. Yeah, it is well. <laughs> yeah, it, it is well. Yeah. Not only is she not talking to people that can help her, but she decides not to voice her problems to people who lack discernment yeah because if you don't have discernment you can't pray for me anyhow even if I tell you uh, pastor how do you know that Gehazi did not have discernment well the Bible says in verse 27 that when she got to the man of God she fell at his feet and began to cry to him and Gehazi said wait a minute get up off his feet you know how many preachers is in scandals right now because women on their feet and falling down around. get off the, get off of the man of God stop touching him Gehazi is a good armor bearer. Hey, get up off the man of God. Stop that. Shoot, get off. Get, get on from away from here. Now look, I'm not trying to see my pastor on TMZ, Larry Reed live. Get on off the man of God. He remind me of David Pugh. Get off the man of God. There's Donnell and L back there. You can't come back here and talk to him. But the man of God, listen. The man of God says, chill out. Let her get a thing. Let her get this thing out of her because there's something going on. And God ain't told me what it is. Something's wrong. And you've got to learn not to be phased by people who can't discern what's happening. Oh, God, this woman had a worship and a persistence that couldn't be frustrated by people who didn't understand her. Because some of you, your worship is so weak and temperamental that if somebody looks at you crazy while you're praising, you'll stop your praise. If somebody looks at you crazy while you're crying out, you'll stop crying out. But this woman says, look here, I've got so much going on that it can't be frustrated by people who don't understand me. So the woman says... God help me, we got to get out of here. I got two minutes. So the woman says, look, uh, I got an issue. And I'm falling at the man of God's feet. The man of God says, leave her alone because her soul is troubled. And God has not told me why. He's hidden it from me. And then when she finally gets space to tell the man of God what happened, she asks him the question that I would have asked, Kristen. You got to be able to see yourself in the text. Bruh. 
Did I ask you for a son? You asked me if I needed anything. I told you I was good. I'm rich. I built you a spare room. I feed you good. I ain't make you stay in the La Quinta. I built you a room on my house, put a bed in it and a chair and a lampstand, made sure you ate good. I didn't take you to Burger King. I took you to Roof Chris. And when you asked me, was I straight? I said, I'm good. You volunteered a prophecy to me that emotionally disrupted me and now it's dead. Why did you interrupt my life with a promise that I did not ask God for? Ooh, God, see, some of y'all too spiritual to say amen right there. But sometimes God will interrupt your life with something you never expected, something that you never desired, something that you said you'd be okay if you never got. But then he gives it to you, and now it's messed up. I didn't want to be married, and now they want to leave me. God, help me. I didn't want children, now they won't act right. God, help me. Oh, God, I didn't want a church, but now they don't want to obey the word. God, how am I supposed to live like this? Did I ask you for this? And what do you do when God starts disrupting the thing that he gave you that you didn't want in the first place? God, help me. Tried my best to be a good mama, but I didn't want to be a mother. Tried my best to be a good husband, but I didn't want to be a husband. Tried my best to be a good church member, but I was okay being trifling. And now my life is jacked up because of something you introduced that I didn't ask for. She said, I, did I ask you for a son? And didn't I tell you not to lie to me? See, 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 y'all don't understand uh, because y'all don't understand where Shunem is. God help me. Uh, uh, Shunem is on the African continental plate, which means that this is a black woman <laughs> talking to the prophet. So I can picture this woman now, this, 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 this majestic melanated sister uh, standing in front of the prophet, uh, rolling her neck, taking them bracelets off, getting ready to come out them shoes because now you done messed with my life in a way, God help me. You, you, you've been playing with my emotions and, and I'm trying to figure out why you messing with me. Didn't I tell you not to lie to me? I started this conversation, Elisha, by telling you, don't lie to me. I told you. Yeah, I, I just want to make sure y'all feel me. I, 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 I want you to be able to see yourself in the text because, because there are some things that God brings to you. And ask you to take care of. And you want to be faithful over what God gives you. But you never asked for it in the first place. You're mad because you got extra responsibility. And once you finally get comfortable with doing the hard thing that God has asked you to do, God takes it from you. She said, I told you not to lie to me. Lie, matter of fact, prophet, lie to the rest of them. You ain't got to lie to me. 
Tell the rest of them they're going to get a new car. Tell the rest of them they're going to have a new boo. Tell the rest of them that they're going to get a promotion on their job. You ain't got to play with me. I've been in church long enough. To, I know the game, okay? You, you ain't, you ain't got to lie to me. Just lie to them, and I'll wipe the sweat off the back of your head while you prophet lying, and I'll put oil in your hand, uh, but you ain't got to play with us. She says, don't play with me, man of God. And the prophet doesn't say anything to the woman. He tells his staff, take this staff and go and lay it on the boy. And, and, and Joe, Joe, this thing blessed me because as I'm reading this text uh, for my devotion, uh, it, 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 it dawned on me. He sends his staff, but then it don't work. And God told me, he said, son, in this season of elevation and preparation, you got to understand that there are some things your staff can't do. God help me. There there are some assignments that you can't send your staff to do. Some some prayers you can't send your staff to pray. Some, Some demons they can't cast out because it's not on them to cast them out. Some stuff you got to go and do yourself. And so the Bible says that he sends the staff. The staff touches the boy and nothing happens. The prophet's like, look, you got to understand now Mount Carmel, how it was set up. It was a place of worship. There were worshipers worshiping, offering sacrifice at Mount Carmel. There were things happening at Mount Carmel. The pastor was busy. So he sends his assistant. But when the assistant touches the little boy, nothing happens. And so Elisha has to leave what he's doing. Oh, God, I wish I was talking to some leaders, some pastors. Somebody's going to hear this, and you got to understand, uh, you can't get to the point where you're so busy that you can't touch people. God, help oh, God, if, if you're so busy doing stuff for God that when people show up, you're too busy to touch people, then you're in the wrong line of work. You're doing the wrong thing. If you're so concerned with the task that you forget that the point of the task is to serve people, then you've got the wrong spirit. And so Elisha comes and he stretches himself out on the boy. <laughs> oh God, now I'm done here. He says, he, he, first when he comes, the Bible says he beheld that the lad was dead. That's, what, that's when it says, behold, the lad was dead. It's not giving us new information. It's allowing us to understand linguistically that Elisha now ascertains that the boy has been deceased. So Elisha sees that the boy is dead. And he entered the door, or entered the room, and shut the door behind them and prayed to the Lord. It is interesting to me now, Brother Herman, that it does not say what Elisha prayed. It does not say what Elisha said to God. But if I could use my sanctified imagination, if I could, uh, if I could just... Assume it would be something like what I would pray. Now, God, you didn't have me out here in front of these people. I didn't gave them this prophetic word. And I told her she was going to have a son. You going to let the little boy die? I mean, my God. She could have got some more money. You could have told me to give her a bigger house. I mean, the room is cool, but it could be a little bigger. 
You're going to have me give her a son and you're going to let the son die? And if I could use, if I could use my sanctified imagination, I believe God told Elisha, huh, this wasn't to embarrass you. This was to glorify me. Because I want to prove to the woman that not only will I keep my promise, but I will keep what I've promised. God help me. That, that, that not only will I perform what I've promised, God help me, but I will protect what I've promised. God help me. And so Elisha looks at the boy and lays out on top of the boy, stretches out on the boy and prays. And what was cold becomes warm. Mm. But he's not alive. Yeah. This is the power of persistent prayer. Elisha doesn't pray one time. And when it doesn't happen, he goes out and says, hey, I've done the best I can do. Let's chalk it up to uh, the sovereignty of God. It is no secret what God can do. If he gave you one son, he'll give you another. Elisha. Stretches out again. Almost as if to declare defiantly to God. That I'm not leaving this place. Until. You fix this problem. And the Bible says. God help me. That when the boy. When he lays on the boy again. That the boy wakes up. And sneezes. Seven times. Now. This is the shouting part and I'm done. Uh, now, I had to do some research because uh, there are certain bodily functions. Anybody ever worked in the healthcare field or done some healthcare research? There are certain bodily functions that can be performed while a person is deceased. Yeah, there, there are certain bodily functions that can happen while an individual is deceased. So they can do certain things and still be dead. I don't want to become vulgar, but y'all understand what I'm talking about. They can do other things and still be deceased. But there, are one, there is one thing you can't do. And, and, and still be dead and that sneeze because sneezing happens to clear out something that's on the inside and in order to clear out what's on the inside you need breath God help me uh, 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 so the Bible says not only does the boy sneeze God help me but he sneezes seven times Oh, God. Now, now, you have to understand, I'm not a numerologist, but you have to understand in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. God, help me. <laughs> so, whereas the boy was dead, had he sneezed one time, it could have been a mistake. God, help me. Had he sneezed two times, he could have sneezed again and died. But God said, I'm going to have him say, achoo, 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 so that you know. God, help me. Maybe mama didn't hear it after the first sneeze. God, help me. Maybe she didn't hear it after the second sneeze. But that thing that was completely dead, God, help me, has been completely restored. And what was in him, God, help me. 
I've also cleansed it out. God help me. Is there anybody here who knows that you serve a God that will resurrect dead things? God help me. And even though it was dead, it'll come back alive. God help me. Is there anybody here who's waiting on God to resurrect some stuff? Well, I want somebody to know that when the promise dies, you get up and take yourself to church. When your marriage dies, you get up and take yourself to the man of God. Because God says, I'm getting ready. God help me. I didn't plan on doing all this today. It's the Super Bowl. But grab your neighbor. Take him by the hand and say, neighbor, God is getting ready to lay out on top of your problem. He's getting ready to stretch out over that dead situation. He's getting ready to stretch out over that dead problem. And whatever it was that was dead, God will He'll bring it back to life. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Say, neighbor. God is getting ready to bring it back to life. God is stretching out over your problem. He's stretching out over your marriage. He's stretching out over your money. He's stretching out over that job. He's stretching out over your financial picture. And when he stretches out, yes, God, it will come back to life. But in the meantime, you got a responsibility to have a positive confession. Look at your situation and say it is well. Look at your money and say it is, it is, it is well. Ain't gone all right. Is there anybody here that can say it is well? God is getting ready to turn it around, but it doesn't get well when he turns it around, but it's well as soon as I put it in his hands. Whatever, whatever the problem, I put it all, I put it in his hand. This and that, I put it all, I put it in his hand. Is there anybody here who can declare on a Super Bowl Sunday that it is well? God, 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 God is turning it around. It is well. That is my confession in a hard place. When I don't have no money, it is well. When I can't sleep at night, it is well. When I'm crying all night long, it is well. Is there anybody here who knows it well? I got to get out of here now. But I remember my daddy singing a song when I was a little boy. He would sing a song. Sherrod, he'd say, when peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows, Brother Herman, I think I got a witness, like sea billows roll, whatever, 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 whatever my lot. I know y'all
y'all don't understand that because that's not millennial English whatever my lot that means no matter what happens no matter what I go through no matter what dies no matter who walks away no matter what I lose whatever my lot thou has taught me taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul you Grab your neighbor by the hand. Shake him and rock him. Rock him and shake him. I said, grab your neighbor by the hand. Shake him and rock him. Rock him and shake him. I said, grab your neighbor by the hand. Shake him and rock him. You still ain't shook him right. Rock him and shake him. And say, neighbor, oh, neighbor, everything is going to be all right. God is working on your behalf and he's turning it around in your favor. Is there anybody here who believes that late in the midnight hour God is going to turn it around? You heard the praise team singing but do you believe it in your life? Grab your neighbor and say neighbor God is going to turn it all the way around. I said grab a neighbor. Y'all are disobedient church but grab your neighbor and say neighbor the preacher can't come down and touch all of us but I'm touching you so that you know you're not by yourself. God is getting ready to turn it around in your favor. It is no secret what God can do. If he can do it for the Shunammite woman he will do the same for you. Look at your neighbor one more time and say neighbor say neighbor I believe I said a miracle working God I done got a Pentecostal praise but I told y'all I'm Baptist so can I tell you how know that the Lord will resurrect dead situations because I'm reminded of another mother in the Bible not the Shunammite woman but a woman from the city of David a woman named Mary who watched her son be crucified and buried and as she's crying at the foot of the cross I believe she's looking at God and saying, Lord, didn't I ask you not to play with me? Lord, didn't I ask you not to play games with me? They beat my baby. 
baby that you promised me all night long they marched my baby up a hill far away to an old rugged cross they hung my baby that you promised me they hung him high they stretched him wide and he dropped his head in the locks of his shoulder and he died good God Almighty he died but there was no prophet God help me no prophet's room to put Jesus in so Mike when they took him down off of the cross they laid him not in the prophet's room but in a borrowed tomb and there was no man of God Elijah had been taken up in a chariot of fire Elijah had closed his eyes Isaiah had slept with his father Jeremiah was ripped limb from limb Micah Hosea Malachi Habakkuk had all died so there was no prophet to be sent to lay on top of Mary's little boy so God said since there be not a prophet I'll roll away the stone and I'll lay on top of him all by myself so the Holy Ghost stretched out on top of Jesus and three days later he got up from the grave but this wasn't no little boy this was a God man so he didn't sneeze to let the world know that he was alive but he said all power in heaven and earth has been given into my hands and I die but I will never die again is there anybody here who's glad about it that he lives he lives Christ Jesus he lives today he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way he lives he lives salvation to impart yeah If you believe it, 